Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Miller. I'm a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about sex tech. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the various ways in which technology has the potential to improve and enhance our sex lives. We're going to talk about a lot of different things here, but we'll start by talking about the role of technology during this situation we're in right now, where so many of us are living under lockdowns and quarantines. We'll talk about the ways in which sex tech can help to fill the void that exists in so many people's sex lives right now. We'll talk about it more broadly, though. So, for example, what are some of the common fears and concerns that people have when it comes to sex tech? And how can we allay those concerns effectively? As you're going to learn, sex tech, while many people are worried about the ways that it's going to disconnect us from others, actually has the potential to connect us on a different and deeper level than we might otherwise experience. We're also going to be talking about sexting. And what do people who might be new to sexting need to know about how to do this and how to feel more comfortable and confident doing so? We're also going to talk about issues of consent and ethics when it comes to sexting, including the psychology of dick pics. So uh, what do people who want to send nude photos need to know to do this in a safe and ethical and respectful way? In order to discuss these and other issues relating to sex tech, I have invited two experts onto the program, Dr. Aaron Watson and Tasha Falconer. I'm going to let these two introduce themselves in just a moment, but we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion on all things sex tech, and it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I'm excited for it, and I bet you are too, so let's get to it. Hi, Tasha and Aaron. Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi. Thank I'm you excited for to be us. here. I'm excited to have both of you and to have a chance to talk about sex tech and what's going on in the world and our sex lives right now and how we can deal with some of the interesting and unique challenges that we're experiencing. Um, but before we kind of get into some of the topics of discussion, I'd like you to just tell my listeners a little bit about each of you and, and what it is that you do. So how about, Erin, why don't you start for us? Sure. I uh, recently got my doctorate in uh, family relations and human development with a special uh, specialization in uh, sexting, so sex tech relationships. I currently work as a, a, a relationship coach and I teach at uh, the university here uh, in, in everything from human development to couple relationships to research. And uh, now I've embarked on an, an endeavor with Tasha uh, where we help you know, parents and educators and advocates support youth navigating the sex tech culture. And such important work and something that people don't really know much about, you know, yeah. <laughs> all this sex tech stuff is new to us. So yeah. I think having people out there who can kind of help guide us through it is really important. Mm -hmm. So Tasha, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, in addition to my work with Erin, um, I'm also a PhD student at the University of Guelph, and uh, I study sexting, I study um, sexual communication more generally as well, um, and I also 
study a, a large range of other things, but uh, primarily I look into sex tech. So given your backgrounds in sex tech and relationships and having people, giving people the tools they need to promote happier and healthier relationships, I think you both are ideally suited to, to weigh in on some of the questions that I have for you. So let's talk a little bit about this coronavirus pandemic and the lockdowns and social distancing and all of these other things that we're experiencing right now. Uh, what have you noticed in terms of how the situation is impacting people's sexual and romantic lives for better or for worse? I think there's a bit of a uh, kind of both ways. Some people are having a lot more sexual intercourse um, or sexual activity in general, whereas others a lot less. Um, some for reasons of social distancing, of not being living with their partner, um, but for some it's also just not wanting to being um, anxious in this very turbulent time um, and not really being as interested. Uh, so I think we see kind of people going both ways. Um, but we, what we also see is an increase in the use of sex tech, which logically makes sense at this time when we're not able to be together all the time necessarily. So I know uh, Womanizer came out about a month ago saying that their vibrator uh, purchases had massively increased. They were looking at, I think they were saying uh, around 135% increase in Canada, and I think a 75% increase in the US. Um, so huge, huge increases in people using sex tech. But it's the Canadians, especially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We're loving our vibrators up here in the North. So I have some clients that are, are really touch starved, like not realizing how much the human energy around them kind of filled that void um, of, of connection. And they're now really feeling like this, this absolute starvation for just human touch and trying to find alternate ways to connect and communicate whether it's using tinder more to date or just having these like online parties with friends as a way to not feel so starved but i also have clients saying you know i love my partner but they need to back off like i cannot i cannot see them any anymore so people really struggling to find that independence and that space that we're so used to when we can go out into the world and and kind of take a break yeah so we've got two very different sets of concerns here for people who are living with partners and those who aren't so let's talk about each of them separately and what those groups can do to, to better manage some of the challenges that they're experiencing. So let's start first with, with the singles and um, people who, th this could also include people who might be in long distance relationships who don't live with their partners, but just in general for people who are kind of touch starved right now and who are looking for some type of intimate connection and contact, but they can't physically get it in person, what do you advise or recommend to people in that situation to do this in a safe way that is effective in terms of meeting their needs? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a number of different ways that we can use technology. I mean, we can use our phones to be sexting. We can have um, phone sex or a Skype sex or um, any of these types of kind of engagements that we can have online. Um, we can also have dates still. Like, well, you can't necessarily get together. Um, Netflix party seems to be a really great app to watch um, Netflix at the same time together. You could set up like a dinner where you're using your phone or your tablet or your computer or whatever it is to be watching each other while eating. You could cook the same thing or cook something totally different. Um, and so I think there's still those opportunities to definitely engage and use technology to our advantage. And I like that, that there's all kinds of ways for us to have these virtual dates where it's a, it's a shared experience with another person, even though you're not physically in contact. But I, I want to go back to what you were saying about sexting and phone sex, because these are actually new things for a lot of people. Uh, some of my colleagues at uh, the Kinsey Institute right now and I are working on a study looking at kind of how people are navigating their sex lives. And we're finding that for a lot of people, they're incorporating things like sexting and phone sex into their sex lives for the very first time. Uh, but if you're kind of new to this, you know, some people might be a little scared or hesitant, like, how do you do this? So do you have any advice or recommendations on safe sexting or just kind of like how to ease yourself into it if it's something that maybe you've never tried before and maybe you're a little bit unsure how to, to do it or you're kind of worried about looking stupid? What, what, what are your thoughts there? That is such a great question. Um, I actually did my dissertation on women's lived experiences of sexting. And one of the things that I found was that this was actually uh, a tool that many women use to sort of explore their sexuality in a way that they were never able to in offline spaces. Like they were able to really speak up more, um, say what they wanted more, explore aspects of their sexual identity or kinks or fetishes that they, you know, were really, really hesitant. And one of the reasons they said they were able to get to that place where they really experienced pleasure in a way they hadn't before was because sexting provides a bit of a, a vulnerability buffer. You can curate your image. You don't have to send the first image. You can text um, and really be careful with what you say. You can take time to draft a sentence that feels good for you and even sleep on it for 24 hours if you want. It's really, really a wonderful opportunity for people to actually practice expressing themselves sexually in a very low stakes sort of environment because again, you can, you can text out a million scenarios and never send them. And even that process, let's say you're single, but you want to practice sexting. Look at you writing your own erotica, things that turn you on, and you're still getting those benefits of, of sexual excitement and sexual anticipation without having to necessarily put yourself on the line. Yeah, I love that. And it makes so much sense from the perspective of a social psychologist and the way that online environments and computer computer mediated communication um, 
can provide this sense of freedom where people can express themselves in a way that they wouldn't otherwise be comfortable to in an in-person environment. So mm -hmm. that, that makes total sense that it provides this unique opportunity for exploration. Um, yeah. Something else to, to talk about here for people who are kind of new to this is when you're first getting started <laughs> with sexting, how do you do this in a consensual and ethical way? Like, let's say you want to start sexting with, with somebody that you're chatting with, but you don't quite know how to come right out and say it, you know, what's sort of the, the, the script there or best practices for making sure that you're approaching this in a consensual and ethical way? This is, this is so interesting because, you know, like when you're flirting face to face, you have some sort of visual cue. And while it's always so important to still ask, you know, hey, I really want to kiss you. Can I kiss you right now? With sexting, you don't have that visual cue. And so sometimes it can feel really abrupt. Like, do are we flirting right now? Do I ramp this up? Like, how far is too far? And it really just comes back to, it's not unsexy to just say, hey, I really want to tell you how you're making me feel. I really want to explain what I'd like to do to your body. Are you cool with hearing that right now? And just put yeah. it out there. Just say, are you down to sex? <laughs> yeah, and it can really be that simple. Like, um, you can be like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about you a lot. Can I show you what you're doing to me? Or um, making those comments about like, you know, I'd really like to describe what I want to do to you next time we meet up. Um, and it doesn't sound awkward. It's just kind of part of it. Um, and that gives that okay, asking, is is this okay? Um, we also see that sometimes people ask for it first. So you might get a, um, a message saying, hey, I'd really like to see a picture of you. Um, so it kind of goes, there's kind of two different ways that it goes about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the big things is a lot of people have concerns around the, the image sharing. There seems to be less concern around getting a sext that is sort of text-based. Um, compared to, ah, I just got a picture of a thing that I didn't necessarily want to see, or I wasn't ready to see, or I'm in the living room with my family right now. This is either very titillating or, <laughs> or not the right time. And so it's, again, it's especially important if you're going to do something like send a picture or send a video to say, hey, I've got something that's sort of like not safe for work, open it, you know, on your own time. Or use an app like Snapchat and say, if I'm going to send any photos, I'm going to do it through this platform of Snapchat, then you know that what you're getting is not safe for work, it's erotic, it's charged, and you can take the time to decide, do I want to even open it or not? Yeah, and I think that's great advice is to think carefully about what platforms you want to utilize for this and also how you manage your own privacy and the, and the privacy of the people who you're engaging in sexting with. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people have their phones set up so that when they get a text message that comes through, it, it just shows right up on their phone when it's there. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be engaged in a sexting relationship with someone, maybe you want to change the notification settings so that it, it just says you have a message generically rather than releasing the contents of that for anybody who's around and could see your phone. So I, I think it's really important to take that that privacy element into concern um, and, and to also think about, you know, what are the right apps and platforms I want to use for this so that I can manage it 
on my own time when I'm feeling sexy and in the mood to do this. Um, it, it can be kind of hard to, to navigate this sometimes because your partner might send you a random sex in the middle of the day, but you're working and you're not in a position to engage with that right now. And so it's just setting those boundaries, I, I think, is important too. It's actually interesting as well, Justin, because a lot of my participants talked about how they loved the empowerment that came from, oh, my partner is sexting me from work and I'm just in the kitchen doing the dishes in my sweatpants. But I still feel like even in that moment, I can send something erotic. I might not be turned on at all myself, but I have this power to kind of tease them in a bit of a taboo space. And even thinking about parents who might be stuck at home and wanting that private time, but they have kids running around everywhere. Well, what's stopping you from sexting your partner from one end of the couch to the other? Nobody knows what is happening. And it can be really exciting. Yeah, stealth sexting in <laughs> relationships. <laughs> I love it. So I think this is all... Um, great advice and insight for helping people kind of navigate this world of sexting that might be a little bit new to them. Uh, so let's talk a little bit now about the the couples at home. Um, and this isn't necessarily just for couples. It could also include people in polyamorous or multiple relationships, but any case where you're living with a partner and you're having to now navigate these issues of personal space, because somebody that you're not used to seeing 24 seven is now constantly around and maybe you're in a tight space together. You don't have a big apartment. So how do you effectively manage and navigate this so that people aren't feeling smothered and that they've got some sense of independence? I think communicating for sure about what you want, and what you need during this time. And I think that's a big thing. I mean, with any relationship and any relationship, um, you know, as you're going through is to really talk about, okay, do you know what? I need a couple hours by myself to do whatever it is that I want to do. Um, or, you know, I don't want to engage in any sexual activity tonight. Um, or even that I just don't want to engage with sexual activity with you tonight, but maybe I want to masturbate. Um, and so having those conversations um, and making it that it's not about them necessarily. Um, it's just about what you need in that moment um, and trying to get your own space, even if that's, you know, you have a small space, but there's a corner that you can have to yourself when you're, you know, on your tablet watching TV or whatever it is that you're doing um, while your partner maybe is in a different room. And it, you're yeah. still close, but you have that little bit of space. I it's, thought you were going to say everybody needs a masturbation corner in their house, but <laughs> that <laughs> well, that's true. good too. That is true. We all need little masturbation nooks. But, <laughs> but honestly, I think we really do need to be intentional with our relationships because we get into these routines or these habits um, and the time we spend together feels like quality time, but really it's just we're in the kitchen together, we're cooking together, we're on our computers at the same time. But now that you're around each other all the time, you almost have to step back and say, ah, okay, let's structure this so that when we're together, it's purposeful. Let's find separate spaces, let's find times to come together and purposely talk. But I really love what Tasha had to say, which is just because you're at home all the time together doesn't mean that your your sex life should always be explored together. Maybe this is a time to go back to 
you know, self-pleasure and basics and finding that masturbation time as a sense of self-care so that you don't get sick of each other. I mean, when was, when was the last time anyone in a relationship took a sexy photo just for themselves, right? Not necessarily for someone else, but just so you could see your own erotic self. Right. Yeah. And I, I think what we're saying here about masturbation is so important because masturbation is something that is considered a, a taboo in a lot mm -hmm. of relationships, right? Where some partners view their partner's masturbation as a sign that they're not interested in them and wonder, well, why are they doing that when they could be expressing their sexuality with me instead? Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to use this as an opportunity to rethink masturbation. And instead of looking at it as necessarily a substitute for partnered sex, it can be a complement to an active and satisfying sex life and also just a healthy form of self-care and, and, and self-expression and, and stress release in a time of, of high stress like we're all in right now. And, and that's the thing because when you have high stress and high anxiety, sometimes you don't want to have sex, right? And I don't think we acknowledge that enough, regardless of your gender, anxiety can kind of kill your sex drive. But a great way to release that tension is through masturbation. So if we could make it less taboo and we could see it as self-care, imagine how we could see this huge surge in the health of so many couples and so many individuals. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit now about sex tech. I know we've talked about sexting and um, uh, some other ways that we can incorporate technology into our sex lives. But since you both study in this area, what are what do you think about sex tech and how we can use this to enhance our sex lives, not just right now, but once this pandemic is also over? What are all the sort of unique opportunities here? And also, what are some of the common myths and misconceptions about sex tech that you've encountered? You know, I think a lot of people tend to look at sex tech and just think about all the ways that this is going to push us apart because we're going to have this VR porn that's going to look so realistic and uh, we're going to be able to have all our needs gratified by a computer or a robot and we're not going to need human partners anymore. Uh, so, you know, do you think those fears and concerns are justified or not? And just tell, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on, on sex tech in general. I have so many. Um, <laughs> I, I think those, I think those fears are valid. I think there's always a risk with any sort of technological advancement that it connects us and disconnects us. Um, it's, it's how we need to leverage it appropriately. That's going to make that difference. And when you think of, you know, really vulnerable populations, how the internet has brought people together in a way that they would not have access to without the internet. Like people with, um, who are socially isolated all the time, who maybe have severe social anxiety. We also know that in LGBT plus communities that the internet and internet forums have been a place of absolutely life-saving connection and information around sexuality, around identity, especially for those in communities where it's not safe to necessarily be out. And to be able to access a partner 
or information or erotica that you wouldn't be able to find in your day-to-day experience, I think can be the difference between living in a way that is personally isolated and living in a way that is authentic to yourself. So I always think that even if sometimes we may become disconnected as a whole because we are behind this buffer zone, also think about how this buffer zone offers us the opportunity to be vulnerable, to be more true to ourselves, to explore things that we might feel trepidation or shame about, and then being exposed to millions of other people that say, yeah, me too. I like that too. That's who I am as well. And I think that's the real power of sex tech, because it doesn't matter what the technological advancement is, we're going to find a way to sexualize it. That's human nature. (laughs) We're going to make it sexy. Uh, We're going to ask, how can I have sex with this somehow? And so why not see it as a way to become more true to ourselves in a way that sometimes things like gendered scripts or sexual scripts or social scripts prevent us from doing in the offline world. And I think too, like as we're seeing in this in this pandemic that people are really touch starved. So although they're replacing it temporarily, I don't really see it being something that we fully replace with, right? Like it's something to add to our lives. I know a lot of people um, in some of the studies that I've done have talked about using sex tech to spice up their life, um, to add to it, but not as a replacement for. Um, So I think that's a big part of it too, is that we're still going to be engaging um, with our partners more physically as we are able. Um, It doesn't replace it, it just adds to it and allows us these additional opportunities to explore our sexuality especially in long-term relationships or people that are separated by distance for whatever reason. I mean, if you don't have access to that person face-to-face, you can't get that sense of intimacy um, just by being around them. But one thing that I saw with my participants in sexting was it wasn't even always to spice up their life or to create some sort of erotic moment but the fact that they were just able to be vulnerable and say, hey, here's something that you don't know about me that kind of turns me on, increased their trust in each other. And that improved their intimacy and their relationship satisfaction as a whole. And I think that's also something that sex tech provides us, which is that, you know, increased communication with our partners and deeper vulnerability and deeper intimacy that we might just sort of brush over when we're face to face. Yeah, and I think you both make great points there and really challenge the way that a lot of people think about sex tech where maybe it's not something that is inherently just going to push us apart and lead to even more social isolation, but rather there's all these new ways and opportunities that it offers for us to connect and take our relationships to to deeper levels. And we can see this in all the different ways that people are incorporating technology into their sex lives, where it can become this avenue to explore sides of themselves that they never otherwise would have a chance to and how some of these new technologies, for example, can help us to live out our fantasies in ways that we might never otherwise be able to in the real world. So I I, I agree that it's looking at it more through the lens of what are the opportunities here, but also at the same time being mindful of the 
the potential risks that that come along with it as well. Because as with any new change to our sex life, um, you know, there are potential rewards and and costs associated with it. But um, I don't think we need to necessarily fear the future of of sex. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 opportunities for pleasure. And I think what we're afraid of most is acknowledging that we have sort of a, a, a hedonistic drive towards pleasure and, and why not? Why be afraid of things like sex robots if what it's doing is making us go, ah, finally, that's the pleasure I needed. That's yeah. healing. Yeah. So as people who study uh, sex tech and sexting, Let's talk a little bit about dick pics, um, <laughs> because this is a topic that I find every time I bring it up with with audiences, uh, no one can hear enough. <laughs> Everybody has questions about it because so many people have this experience of receiving an unsolicited dick pic. And I've actually done a little bit of research in this area to look at, so why are guys sending these unsolicited pics and what are some of the psychological traits and characteristics associated with that and then what ultimately happens right so how do people respond when they receive them and so uh, I, I found some interesting things I did a study of several hundred men um, it was about 400 men one of the things I wanted to look at was sort of like what are some of the traits and characteristics here and what I found in my research was that there was actually a link uh, only for heterosexual men, there was no link for gay or bisexual men. Um, but for heterosexual men, it was linked to lower self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It was linked to being lower on the personality trait of agreeableness. Agreeableness is all about how much mm-hmm. care and concern you have for mm-hmm. the well-being of others. So it makes sense that if you're lower on this trait, you're going to engage in more non-consensual behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these men also were higher on this personality trait of Machiavellianism, which involves having more manipulative and, and deceitful tendencies. Uh, so, so those were some of the things I found there. Um, I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? And then after that, let's talk a little bit about how we should rethink dick pics and what guys who are thinking about sending them need to know. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that matches up well with some of the theories people have given about why they do this. And I think even your research found that a lot of it was because they were hoping to receive pictures or sex or something back. Um, And so that kind of makes sense of that manipulative part of it of like, well, if I do this, then they're going to do this for me. but it's, it's really interesting, and I find it interesting that we've only actually looked um, at dick pics specifically, um, and we see that when I did some research, I found that while well, 71% of men or 71% of women had received an unsolicited picture, um, 61% of men had two. Um, so we see high numbers there, and I have no doubt that there are also women sending unsolicited pictures. Um, and it's, it's not... A good outcome you know when we ask about who how people feel about kind of getting these pictures that they didn't ask for they're not happy about it they're not pleasant at all um so people are really finding that it's uncomfortable to receive these that they don't want them that they're seen as inappropriate and um unwanted and Mm. and people feel kind of gross when they get them it's Um, funny because the mentality though is is different it's 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 almost like that same mentality of if I ask out a woman a thousand times and she turns me down a thousand times it just makes a reward better at the end because 
because of this social script that women ought to say no first, that when a woman is not interested, she's actually just playing hard to get. So almost this idea of I'm not sending a dick pic to make someone uncomfortable, although that may be the case for some men for sure. Um, but the idea of I'm sending it because I know deep down she must really want to see it and she's just not willing to admit that, which is, I mean, it's such a problematic script, mm -hmm. but it's one that so many people continue to adhere to. Yeah. So something else that I also found in my research was that a large number of these men, um, I don't remember the exact statistic off the top of my head, but a large number of them reported that they actually achieved their desired outcome of sending the dick pic, no which way. was to get um, a, a picture in return or to proceed to a sexual relationship with that other person. And so what I'm seeing in the data is that sometimes these things do lead to a sexual encounter. And I think that that is part of the issue here that perpetuates this behavior and wow. why it's so widespread is that it does... I hate to say it works, but that, ah. you know, it, but it does have that effect that they're looking for some of the time. And I think most men who are sending these unsolicited pics are not really being held accountable, right? Uh, so yeah. there, there's no real penalty that they experience for doing it. And so the fact that there's no penalty mm -hmm. and sometimes they get what they're looking for, I think licenses a lot of men to continue engaging in this behavior. The no penalty thing is big because again, that's that's sort of built into the double standards of of sex and dating in our culture, which is men are rewarded for the amounts of times that they can go out and flirt and go out and pick up or, you know, get photos from women or sext multiple women. Of course, I'm speaking specifically about heterosexual scripts right now. Um and so even if there is a, a consequence in terms of that particular woman says, no, I'm not interested, I don't like this, the, the sense of status and the sense of power overall that men are accustomed to feeling because they're told that that's what they're entitled to around dating and sexuality, I feel kind of overrides any of the rejections that might, they might get from individual people. Yeah. And I actually have a friend who's uh, she's a bit well known on Instagram, and she gets dick pics regularly from celebrities, huge sports stars, and she says, "Nope, Mary, nope, no thanks, don't want this." And there's nothing sexy about her responses, but they keep sending them and keep sending them, with regardless of the fact that if she wanted to she could easily say, oh, look, I have X person's penis. Here's a, here's a photo of it. But there's no consequence because the status or the feeling of power and status that might come from that overrides everything else. Absolutely. Did you have anything you were going to add there, Tasha? I yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the lack of consequences is problematic. I mean, we are seeing some places starting to put laws in regarding this, um, but it's not widespread. And quite frankly, I doubt they're, they're well used. Um, I see with anything sexuality related going through the court system generally doesn't work out conveniently or well. Um, 
but it's also interesting that your research is finding so many people sending them back. Um, and I, and I wonder so much about that. And I think definitely more needs to be done to figure out what that is. Cause I know some of the research I've read has also found people who are like, well, no, I'd never send anything back saying that. So kind of what's the difference? Why are some people sending back versus others saying like, no, that's, that's not at all what I'd be doing. Um, and exactly how are we, you know, to show like, no, that wasn't appropriate. If you want to start a relationship with me, this is how we need to go about doing it so mm-hmm. that there are those consequences there. Yeah. Go ahead, Erin. Sorry. Um, I'm also just, I'm curious. I don't have data on this. Um, I'm curious how much the narrative of shame and silencing around women's sexuality also impacts this because even if let's say a guy sent a dick pic and he knew it would upset that woman there's still the knowledge that for the most part if a woman says um i've been in contact with this guy and he sent this that the first question back is going to be why were you flirting with him well why were you talking that way in the first place what did you do to uh invite this sort of behavior so again when it comes down to consequences we really are displacing um some of the responsibility it just structurally yeah and i i think it's you make some good points there and it's also important to think about how this plays out in different contexts for for different populations so in the context of a, a heterosexual man sending it to a woman that's one thing. And then also to a man who sends it to another man. Um, So that is considered to be an an almost normative behavior uh, in in the gay community because it happens so often, but that doesn't mean that every gay man is happy when they receive a dick pic. Mm -hmm. And that's why some of the uh, uh, gay dating apps now have certain boxes you can check for whether or not it's okay to send nude photos or not. Um, because I think there's sort of been this longstanding assumption that, you know, if you're a man, you're, you're just always down to, to have sex. Mm-hmm. And I think so many gay men look at other men like that through that lens and think that it's always okay to send dick pics and ask for sex. But, you know, there's, there's, vast diversity and variability in the way that gay men think about sex and what behaviors they're comfortable with. And so, uh, you know, this this feeling of discomfort, harassment is not something that is unique and specific to heterosexual women. I think it's more common uh, for them, but it, it happens to a lot of gay men too. And so that speaks to the need to change this sort of broader culture about when and under what circumstances is it okay to send a nude. So, on that note, what is, what's your advice on how we can engage in sending of nude photos in a consensual and, and ethical way? I mean, I think it's interesting um, that the, some of the apps are adding those kind of boxes to them. Um, and I think, well, that's kind of a good place to start that we need to remember to um, that consent is ongoing. Um, so while in general, they may be okay with receiving those sorts of things, they may not in the moment that you end up sending them. Um, so making sure that you're asking when you're going to be sending them. And we do see that sometimes, as Aaron mentioned earlier, you know, using an app where people 
um, like a very specific, like only in this account on this app, I'll, the only thing I'm ever going to send you um, is nudes or sex or um, those types of things. So if you see something there, that's what it is. And you can choose when or when not to open it or whether you want that at that time or at any time. Um, and so setting up things like that are also really beneficial. Um, but just making sure that you're asking or being asked um, at any given time. And even just, you know, in like, is this second okay? Like, because if you're in a meeting at work, maybe this second is not the best time to be getting it. But, you know, mm -hmm. 20 minutes down the road, you'd be really happy to get one. Right. Um, and so making yeah. those boundaries of like, do you know what, right now is not great. How about, you know, later tonight? Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the idea of consent isn't something obviously that's new with sex tech. When we talk about consent, we're talking about teaching, you know, toddlers immediately from the moment that they can walk and talk, do you want to hug or not? Right. So I, it's, it's one thing to be able with your partner to say, I don't want to sex now. I'll want an image later. I think these are all really, really important conversations to have. The onus should also be on the individual sending to really think about, um, respecting the person that is going to be the recipient not assuming that it's always up to the recipient to say yes or no um, or to open it later or to open it now but really can we build conversations of respect and ethics and consent into our everyday lives so that when it comes to sex tech and it comes to relationships we're not left with these confusing complicated situations where we go is now okay is, is now not okay is you know what do I do with this and one of the interesting things I found in my data which actually was was self-identified women was that they would sex their partners um, and then they would get their friends to help them curate those sexts so they'd be sitting in a room with their friends sexting their partner and then reading out oh she said this or he said this what do i type back and that's also an issue of consent one that we don't necessarily think about because it's not necessarily like unlawful distribution or forwarding of images but you're sharing someone's intimate moment and even though you're doing it in a way that you're hoping to connect better with them you're still sharing it with people in a room without asking your partner is it okay that they're hearing what you just told me yeah no absolutely um so many interesting things to to talk about here with regard to consent and ethics. And I, I think so much of what you've mentioned speaks to a broader need to change the norms and the culture and the way that we, we think and talk about these issues. But those are the, the big questions, the things that we can't just wave a wand and, and fix as much as we wish we could because they require deep systematic changes in the way that we administer sex education and the way that we think and talk about sex. And so I'm wondering if, you know, sort of in the meantime, as we're working on making some of those bigger structural changes, is there more of a role for the apps themselves to play in helping to regulate this behavior? So for example, uh, could apps sort of 
do an initial screen of photos that are sent through them. And if it's likely to be a dick pic uh, or something like that, or likely to be any type of nude, um, that it's, you know, censors it before sending it to the recipient and says, this picture may contain nudity. Do you want to proceed? You know, so what, what do you think about that? Do you think there's more of a role for the apps themselves to play in terms of regulating absolutely. the behavior absolutely tasha and i talked about developing a sexting app where it would do something like that it would filter the photos so you were able to accept or not mm. accept um that it could have a feature where if you received an unsolicited um picture from someone you could flag that user and then that user would be like locked out of the system for a period of time right so there were these immediate consequences yeah. um and then there's also just the privacy piece of knowing that like when i choose to send a picture i know that there's no way to screen cap it there's no way to forward it so that i have that personal freedom absolutely yeah, I definitely think apps can play more of a role than they currently do. But I do also think um, where that line is, is is a little tricky, um, especially because things like, well, if you're screening the photos, then who in the cloud has seen that? Who has access to that? Who kind of has those? So while you're sending it to your partner or to this person that you're interested in dating, there's also someone up in a server somewhere um, sitting in a room with a lot of computers around them seeing it first um, or seeing it at all or it being accessible by hackers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that needs to be kept in mind too, that you know it might be something like just all pictures are censored regardless of what they are um, and you have to choose, yes, I wanna see whatever picture this is that they sent, um, regardless of whether it's a picture of like their cat or their whatever, some flowers on their jog or whatever it is they're actually sending you, assumingly, hopefully, they've said something that kind of gives an indication as to what the picture is <laughs> um, before you, you need to open it or you can choose to open it. So um, I do think that the apps could add to that. Um, I do think some apps just choose not to allow you to send photos at all, um, which is an option, although then you potentially need to find another way to send those photos if you want to be receiving them um, or want to be sending them um, with consent. Mm. So it does get kind of complicated and then potentially you have to give them your number and maybe you don't want to do that or some yeah. other form. Um, so I do think that they need to think about where those lines are when apps are getting involved in this. It's um, it's also about sort of knowing your kinks as well. Like, I know people that set up websites online and they're like, send me your pictures, I'll send you mine. That's my thing. I enjoy that. I want that, that stranger relationship. And then there are other people that know that I'm not going to open a photo from anyone that I'm not already currently yeah. you know, engaged with in the sense of I've decided I want to be erotic with them in some capacity. Um, so it's also kind of knowing yourself and knowing your boundaries and your limits around that as well. And that's one of the great things about sex tech is that, you know, compared to an offline situation where you might decide halfway through, no, thank you, I'm not into this, but it feels not quite safe to leave, you can turn off your phone you can throw it across the room, you can decide not to respond, you can scream no thank you, and they can't come get you because it's over a device. And so there is a safety to sex tech as well in the sense that there are 
um, better boundaries around physical safety and personal safety. Yeah, so much to think about and talk about here. I think we could go on for hours (laughs) (laughs) on on these topics, but um, I think we're going to wrap it up there because we've hit on a lot of uh, the points that I wanted to address. And I I think you provided a lot of valuable insight and um, uh, feedback and guidance there. So before we go, can you just tell listeners a little bit about where they can go to learn about both of you and your work? We uh, have an Instagram, which is at the sext spurts. So X S E X T S P E R T S. Um, and you can also find me at Dr. Aaron Watson, um, either on Facebook or Instagram, or that is my website as well. Um, and Tasha? Yeah, and you can find me on the Sexperts Instagram as well. Um, and I'm always happy to take emails at tfalcon at uoguelph.ca. Great. Well, thank you both so much for your time and for talking to us about these fascinating issues. And I wish you both all the best with your future work. Thank you so much, Justin. It's been a pleasure.